Assalamu alaikum everybody and welcome to this Muslima Voices podcast. I am Hina Junejo, relationship and empowerment coach and the host for the program today. Today we have with us Sister Ume Amar, founder of Hijama Nation Academy and a holistic health coach. Wa alaikum salam sister. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair. Thank you for having me on your show. Barakallah feek. The topic for today's conversation is Sunnah health practices to feel mentally, physically and spiritually fit in order to combat injustice. So we're going to be having an interesting conversation around that topic with you today. Inshallah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm very, very excited. It's a real opportunity to share my viewpoint with so many sisters, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, all goodness comes from Allah, inshallah. So let's begin the journey. Since the first question that I would love to ask you is, what was your inspiration behind pursuing holistic health coaching and how did you get involved in natural remedies? Yes, it's quite a long story. It begins with me just when I was younger being very much uh, attracted towards uh, natural remedies and complementary therapies. During my degree, I did that in economics. And then after that, I had a few council jobs and some corporate work I did as well. But I was never particularly fulfilled with those. After graduation, I got married and I actually moved to America with my my husband and my in-laws. So when I was there, I was a homemaker. Then eventually I had children as well. So at that point, that was enough for me. But as a hobby, um, as something that I just loved to do uh, was uh, get trained and qualified in various complementary therapies. So over time, uh, over a period of years, I got qualified in Indian head massage, massage, reflexology, Reiki, and various other treatments, Um, also learned about energy healing and so on. So I started building up a portfolio. At this stage, it was just purely for something that I I love doing. I used to just treat my uh, family and close friends. There was no formal aspect to it. I wasn't really thinking of starting a business or doing anything. It was just something that I really enjoyed doing. Having said that, just after marriage, I actually became very, very seriously sick. And there was no explanation behind it because I'd been healthy my whole life. And suddenly around 22 years old, I started having severe seizures. Um, They were very random and there was no explanation for them. And over a period of 10 years, literally for 10 years, I was visiting doctors in the UK and in America some of the top hospitals and seeing uh, top consultants and neurologists who literally could never figure out what was wrong with me. And in the end, they said it was idiopathic epilepsy, which means that they've got no idea what's happening or why it's happening. But um, I was labelled with having epilepsy. During this time, I would say around those 10 years, um, there was so much confusion and fear for me. And uh, it led to a lot of depression because I'd be scared that I would have a seizure. And we found a pattern that it was happening when I was stressed out, if I was tired and didn't have enough sleep. So the triggers were physical, but then I'd end up worrying and panicking about it so much that I'd get worse and I'd actually get myself into a state where I could potentially become very ill again. Uh, I also started having severe migraines and unexplained eye pain. I, I went to see all the specialists for all of these issues and literally there was no reason the doctors were baffled and they could never figure it out. 
And I think at a time uh, I was just uh, a very low ebb and I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. You know, the, um, and even though I knew natural remedies could help when I had the reflexology performed or did any kind of energy healing, it helped me so much. So I learned over time the best way to manage my own health and maintain, um, you know, a good state of mind was just by eating well, sleeping well and making these positive lifestyle changes and primarily changing my mindset. So I started looking into the natural remedies then and I found that my physical health could be maintained. So even though the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me, they tried me out with different medications. I was up and down, you know, trying out different things and it had a lot of negative side effects for me. So uh, in order to try to deal with the seizures, which did eventually reduce, I ended up having a lot of side effects from them as well. So it was always up and down. So the best way to balance myself was to continue with these treatments. Uh, and that helped me a lot, alhamdulillah. So from there, I, one of my friends mentioned hijama cupping therapy to me, which I'd never heard of. I knew what cupping therapy was, and I knew that it was a Chinese medicine, and I, I had known people who'd received it. I never had it done myself. But when I found out about it, I, I Google searched it and found that it was actually a sunnah medicine, and they were authentic hadith to corroborate that. I mean, I was just so shocked and amazed. Hijama wasn't very well known at that time. So that's what I decided to do. I just thought if this is a sunnah, if I've invested time and effort and energy in every other complementary therapy, then there's no reason why I shouldn't be investing my time and uh, money into an Islamic medicine course. At that time, I had no idea when I signed up for those courses, how my life would change. So I enrolled on a one-day course and also a certification course. At that time, they were, there weren't very many available. Hijama was barely known in the UK. I got qualified very quickly and I started doing case studies. And then uh, I did this while I was in the UK temporarily. I was visiting family. I went back to the States and I started treating some friends and then they spread the word. And organically, my service grew. There were some people that were desperately ill in the community. And I just said to them, I think I've just learned a new therapy and I think this could benefit you. And would you like to try it out? So one thing led to another. Um, some sisters started coming to me regularly. And, you know, there was a lot of benefit for them. And I had hijama done myself. And I realized immediately the huge benefit it had for me and my epilepsy. And I think that was a huge turning point for me the best way to manage my health was through sunnah health because hijama coupling therapy is actually a sunnah prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam received it for physical well-being as well as spiritual well-being so knowing all of these things it just started me off on a whole new journey about learning concepts of uh, traditional islamic medicine which is also known as dibanavi or prophetic medicine and learning about food, diet, healthy eating, according to all of that. But more than anything, I realized that it was all about mind, body, and soul. You had to have a holistic approach towards it. So more and more sisters started asking me for treatment, and then uh, the local masjid, the local universities, um, started asking me for workshops and training. And it just uh, organically grew and morphed from me just doing treatments in my bedroom at home for fun and just helping people. Uh, it eventually became a business model where um, non-Muslim clients were coming to me and they were actually medical professionals. They were nurses and they were referring others. So when my husband, who's my business partner as well, 
realized that there's so much demand that people from around the world are asking us for help because we set up a blog website in our infancy. We just had very humble beginnings. Uh, we didn't think much of it at the time. We just started gathering information for the blog. And for me, it was just a hobby at that time. It was something fun to do besides the housework, cooking and cleaning, which I did think it was my priority. And then from there, one thing led to another. We started getting international emails and uh, lots of people were asking us for treatments and so on. And then eventually they were asking us to train them. So we started off with simple, basic training. And then from there, my husband, he's a digital marketer. He's an expert in IT training and business consultancy. From there, he realized that there was such a huge market and demand for it. And the only way to make it global was to have an online model so that we could reach as many Muslims as possible. He was in a full-time nine-to-five job at that time and he really wasn't happy with it. He wasn't spiritually fulfilled in any other way. So as soon as we realized that there could be money made from this as well and it could become our primary source of income, he decided to give up his job. At that time in the States, there were some uh, legal or technical issues with regards to breaking the skin barrier for hijama for um, non-medical professionals. So we made the huge decision to come back to the UK where UK law says that, you know, complementary therapies, most of them are accepted and hijama was not regulated. So there would be no issues for us to expand and grow and start teaching people. And I think at that point we made our conscious decision on a spiritual mental level that this was going to be our goal and mission in life was literally to have to revive the sunnah of hijama cupping therapy, to establish it globally and to make it accessible for every Muslim and non-Muslim um, so that they can attain optimum health. So since then, there's been no stopping us. Alhamdulillah, there's been many, many hardships. There's been lots of problems with our, uh, with our business in the last 10 years, ups and downs. But we've always stuck to it and we realize that there is a lot of issues that come from shaitan causing fitna, but also tests and hardships come from Allah as well. And it's a blessing and a rectification for us. So not only did my own health improve, then my husband and I got into everything that was um, you know, prophetic medicine related. From that, my knowledge expanded into Yunani medicine, which is Greek, Arab medicine. Then we explored the concepts of typology and temperaments and understanding an alternative medicine system, which is separate from you know, Western medical systems, which everybody accepts. So oftentimes, and I know from my own personal experiences, doctors are not God and they don't always have the answer for your conditions. In my case, it was the epilepsy. So it was only when we went back to our Islamic roots and found out about the golden era of medicine and history and science with our own scholars and imams, such as uh, Ibn Sina, he's commonly known as Avicenna, and how they actually use hijama cupping therapy. It was the original you know, mode of surgery back in the Middle East, as well as Africa, in China, uh, Egypt, as well as the UK um, and Europe. So many, many countries and cultures have used cupping therapy and means of bleeding the body just to balance it out. So anyway, this is like a whole science behind it, but uh, we are completely fascinated by it. We're obsessed with it. It is our passion. And from there, our, our college has just grown. We are offering training in hijama cupping therapy, as well as uh, various other Islamic medicine courses. From there, I realized that 
you know, this was a real means to not only get sisters healthier, but also inspire them to get qualified, get mm -hmm. certified, and then, you know, uh, be able to put their diploma into practice by treating their own families and then also setting up their own businesses and running their clinic. Yeah, so our customers, the way we see it, are modeled on myself. So I started off as a homemaker doing something just for a side income, a little bit of extra pocket money here and there, just following my passion and my interest and deciding to monetize that passion. So with my husband's um, business uh, uh, consulting and also life coaching experience, then I got um, trained in life coaching. And from there, our business has now become holistic health training. And uh, with years of experience and research and knowledge now, not only are we teaching over you know, a thousand students globally in over 40 odd countries, alhamdulillah. We're also coaching people about holistic hijama. And we actually created and launched our own treatment system called Holistic Hijama Treatment System. And that involves treating clients uh, and coaching them to a healthier lifestyle with the mindset training and Islamic approach to medicine, making sure they watch their diet according to Sunnah Health and also with regular hijama cupping therapy. So our goal is to not only revive the sunnah and make it our mission in life, we also want to make sure that it's fully accessible to all Muslims. And my personal goal and my passion really is to get as many people certified, because our students are male and female, but the majority are female, is to raise a level of awareness for people to learn about uh, Islamic medicine, but also for sisters to become entrepreneurs. So one of my favorite things to do is whenever I'm lecturing or they come for training, I say to them that you're not here as students, you already are businesswomen. And that's what you have to think like that once you have made this investment for your education and learning, this is a life skill that you will leave behind as a legacy for not only your own family and children, but generations to come. And that's how we will revive the sunnah, inshallah. And it works on a mind, body and soul aspect. So once you're physically fit and healthy, it will make you mentally fit and strong and you will become a better functioning person just as an individual, but then also as a mother, as a wife and so on. So our main goal is to make hijama the first point of contact instead of people going to the GP straight away or instead of using a quick painkiller or having a quick fix for everything, our goal is to train people to think about hijama first before anything else as a primary mode of treatment or medication for themselves. The Hadith states that Prophet ﷺ said that hijama is the best medicine. And there were so many authentic Hadith to support the benefits of hijama cupping therapy. It works on a spiritual level as well as physical, mental and emotional. It's it's actually a divinely revealed therapy and it is a miracle. We've seen actual physical miracles of people who are suffering from multiple sclerosis and they were in wheelchairs and they were unable to walk. And then with a course of hijama treatment, they were able to start walking and take a few steps. I've personally treated several people with cancer, with hijama cupping therapy, and they saw improved health and so many other medical conditions it's meant to be the cure for every disease, alhamdulillah. And, and I've seen actual cases that are very successful with positive results. People were very ill and then they recovered even after one hijama session or at least three or four. So because of that, we have such strong faith and conviction on a personal level for our own health, our families, 
then our clients, our students, and we just know that 100% this is the best remedy out there for anybody to try. And even if you're not sick, you should still try it to practice it as a, a sunnah medicine, but also just to cleanse your body, to detox yourself, because you're essentially taking out toxic elements from the body and that way you give yourself a fighting chance to be fit and strong and healthy inshallah so that's our goal we like to focus on getting sisters qualified up and running set up their business so they can start earning an income straight away and become more independent and so our overall goal goal is not only to revive the the health aspect of it for the for the sunnah medicine but also the uh, sunnah of entrepreneurship and especially for females we want them to be fit and strong themselves and then many of our graduates become coaches as well so we've developed a huge team mashallah we are one of the leading hijama colleges in the world and uh, you know we try our best to set high standards and many of our graduates end up working with us and some of the top hijama coaches with us and everyone is implementing the holistic hijama treatment system summing up that's my story right now we want to take it to the next level our goal is to try and get it to government level not only in the uk but other countries as well so that we can get recognized formally get insured and make sure that it's a a commonly accepted medicinal system just like Chinese medicine is accepted. Inshallah, I mean, may Allah subhanahu wa accepts your efforts and your du'as, I mean. So sis, with, with all of this, you know, your passion and your intention going towards the right direction, where do you yeah. see these sunnah practices in the next decade? Um, inshallah sister I feel that Allah has put us on this mission for a reason I'll be honest with you there's many times that we decided that we wanted to just give up close down the business try something else you know there there have been many problems along the way but somehow for some reason Allah always just brings us back to this path it's always like we just can't escape it and it's as though Allah is saying to us that you're, you're going to stick to it and this is what you're going to achieve. And our long-term goals are to revive the, the sunnah health aspect of it. And not just hijama alone. It has to be eating habits, you know, sunnah, a lifestyle, um, the whole attitude towards health. And included in that then is the Yunani medicine. So what we would really love to do is have it recognized and established legally within the UK as well as globally. We want, you know, Yunani system to be out there we want people to learn about prophetic medicine, you know, eating habits, what were the food groups that Prophet used to use for certain personality types and body types. So this is a real science and, you know, it's very ancient, but it's been buried away and rejected for a long time because of Western medicine. But alhamdulillah, we've got the blessing of some media, you know, people are very clued on. And especially with COVID right now, the whole world is literally in a state of uncertainty and flux right now. This is such a scary time. 2020 has just been the most revealing time to bring out so many festering issues for, for mankind, for literally every person on every level, on a physical, mental, emotional level. And we really feel that hijama and, and Islamic medicine are the answer for this and you know they will build your immune system they are a preventative medicine eating right is so valuable and it's crucial for people to get healthy but people aren't educated about it because we're filled with propaganda and all of these other concepts that you know doctors in white coats are right you have to follow big pharma and, and the pharmaceutical industry 
and just listen to whatever is on the news or whatever people feed you. So for us, we see it as a reawakening. We're seeing it as a time of revival of the glorious past of Islamic history, Islamic medicine, and you know, we want people to learn about it. So our goal is to get it recognized as a formal qualification, as a, a, a viable alternative solution, just like Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine are accepted. We want Yunani and prophetic medicine or Islamic medicine generally to be accepted. So in that includes fasting which is very trendy right now you've heard of the 5-2 diet possibly that's basically sunnah fasting as well so there's all of these solutions that people are looking for so that includes hijama cupping therapy fasting rukya which is a recitation of the quran using that as a medicine as well energy healing so these are all things that are incorporated in islamic medicine but more than that we have to educate the ummah and other people who are non-Muslim about alternative solutions, that there are other options, you can get healthy, and it comes down to mindset and approach. Right mindset and approach towards your health and you think positively, then you will definitely get healthy. If you feel despair or fear uh, and you're scared, then you're going to be in a high state of alert. You're going to be in flight and fight mode all the time and your immune system will always be crushed and you know you're never going to get healthy so um our goal really is to do this over the next few years globally have it recognized and you know educate people that there are other solutions out there and islamic medicine is the best option inshallah inshallah no doubt you can never go wrong with the practices can you educate us a bit more or at a deeper level about what is energy healing because it's picking up so much Yes, yes, absolutely. So every human being is surrounded by electric magnetic energy. Every every being or every item on this planet, even the planet itself is. In Islamic medicine, the Quran uh, is used as a form of healing and a, a form of, uh, used as a medicine and purification of the heart and the tongue and the mind. So whenever we're doing energy healing, in that comes the Rukia as well. So uh, in Islamic medicine, there's the concept of mind, body and soul but there's also the metaphysical issues. So that includes things like, that are unseen, things like jinn, black magic, evil eye. So hijama cupping therapy, according to the hadith and the sunnah practices, also cleanses the body of these things. So it's, as human beings, we pick up good energy from people, we pick up bad energy from people. We can also have uh, shaitanic interferences. Sometimes people have bad thoughts and send that negative energy to you. It has different names in different uh, cultures. There's Reiki, there's just straightforward energy healing, there's quantum healing. There are different labels for it. Uh, at this stage, I would just say that as, as a sunnah practice, it's just Rukia therapy, um, recitation of the Quran, and, and just the Prophet used to do it. We're placing the right hand on any area of pain in the body and just reciting. So therefore that that positive healing is being channeled into the body alhamdulillah that's a very vital part of it and and no this is a real thing there's so much mental illness right now you know so much depression so many issues that are going on not only in the muslim community but globally literally everyone is suffering right now everyone is scared frightened depressed so all of these things are real but then metaphysical issues according to islamic belief are very real as well and jinn black magic and evil eye can manifest themselves physically and affect your health so sometimes the doctors may not have an answer for your symptoms 
they may not be able to tell you what's wrong with you even though you have severe sickness but it could also be due to black magic evil eye or jinn so you have to account for both of those things and there is a fine line between mental health issues and metaphysical issues and as muslims we have to understand that it could be either or you know we have to explore all the medicinal side and look at the scientific aspects of it and try your best to get diagnosed from the medical doctors and if you can't then you should always remain open to the idea that there may be negative energies that are on or in around you and they they may have just attached themselves to you they may have been sent by people you never know allah knows best this is all issues of the ghaib we can't say either way but it's definitely a real thing it's written in the quran and it's haq we can't deny it so you just have to be open minded and this is what we're talking about with the concept of islamic mindset islamic approach to medicine that you have to look at the whole person holistically you look at the spiritual aspect as well as the physical and mental health so this is what we mean by energy healing subhanallah jazakallah khair for that sis on a totally different note um, i'd like to ask you that mashallah you're you're promoting the sunnah practices so much and you're living in the um, usa and uk where yes, people yes. are predominantly non-muslims and obviously you mentioned that non-muslims have also come and taken benefit from your services subhanallah yes. but there might have been um some instances where you may have encountered any discrimination or prejudice during your work life or growing older as a second generation migrant uh yes definitely in both cases yeah so with regards to hijama cupping therapy specifically we've had lots of negative press uh generally speaking as hijama is becoming more popular you will see many celebrities actors and singers and uh, leading sports people having hijama cupping therapy so they just call it cupping therapy they may not necessarily get the cupping done so just briefly there's two types of cupping there's dry cupping which involves fixed cupping and moving cupping where you do not draw the blood that's more commonly used but then there's hijama wet cupping which the chinese also use and that's the islamic medicine where you draw the toxic blood from the skin surface you're not drawing venous blood from the veins you're only drawing it from the skin surface and you draw drawing extracting any excess fluids or liquids or humors inside the body um as well as any toxins so that's what actually happens so it's very good for sports people especially to relax their muscles so it's become a very popular therapy it's very very trendy right now medical doctors and scientists have have mocked it basically it's not taken seriously a lot of people think it's just some type of weird barbaric practice it's done by you know barbaric muslims or it's a backward science and that's mainly because if people aren't doing it professionally or hygienically or safely then obviously there will be that negative viewpoint of it but okay. if you if you search it on the news on on google or whatever there have been documentaries or interviews about it from leading hijama practitioners you'll find lots of articles putting it down mocking it doubting it and and just purely when it's presented then as, as an islamic therapy uh, they do put that down but subhanallah it's come from allah that in places like america canada australia where we've had it recognized we've got it recognized as a religious therapy we are not claiming that it's a medical therapy we are saying it's a religious faith based spiritual practice and because of that 
Allah has allowed us to be able to practice it legally. So therefore, in, in one respect, we've had Islamophobia from so-called medical doctors and scientists who are doubting it and saying it's just, you know, a, an odd practice, which is ancient and it shouldn't be done today. And yet, um, Allah has enabled us um, to practice it solely because it is an Islamic therapy. So subhanAllah has got balanced out. Uh, regarding actual clients, absolutely no Islamophobia in that respect. To be honest, I think they say health is wealth. And if a person is sick and you're desperate for any kind of help or pain relief, whatever treatment you try is, is what you'll get positively anchored to. So I've had non-Muslims come to us and we've treated them and they've had such amazing results that they didn't care if it was an Islamic therapy or not. For them, it was just a mode of healing for them. And um, subhanAllah, uh, sister, it's just the most awe-inspiring and humbling thing that we actually use hijama as a form of dawah mm. and we have non-Muslim students and clients and so they've actually now become interested in Islam and they, uh, they've started practicing hijama cupping therapy and embraced the spiritual aspects of it, even if they're not Muslim. On top of that, our actual Muslim students talk about how it strengthened their iman, how studying our courses really increased their Islamic knowledge as well as giving them faith and conviction and hope in alternative health solutions. So in that respect, regarding my professional work life now, that's the Islamic aspects of it. Um, regarding the past, I do have a few incidences. There was general racism throughout my childhood and teenage years. I think that was the 80s in the UK, you know, the, the BNP, NF, or National Front or British National Party, there was a lot of racism from skinheads and the likes of these kind of nationalist parties. And, you know, it was quite normal to be called a Paki or, you know, there'd be racist attacks on people generally. With me personally, we were um, second generation Pakistanis settling here in, in East London, which was quite a rough area at that time. Our elders were very, very strict. They were immigrants. They'd come over during the 60s. It was a case of just working hard and get educated because they were uneducated they wanted to make sure that we had a better life so it was always about pushing the education but we were also taught very strong morals and having pride in our identity as Muslims and Pakistanis so uh, even when racism was encountered as children there were some racist attacks we went to visit family one time in Harrow where it was a completely white area and our family was just playing in the park there was a large number of us uh, there was an incident between a couple of the children there was a white family and then they went and got back up their, their family came with weapons so they had baseball bats and sticks and so on um, and they started to attack our family that's including children as well Alhamdulillah, because we grew up in a fairly rough area and there was racism, I think everyone always, especially the men folk in the family, were always very conscious of self-defense and standing up for yourself and being proud of who you were and just knocking down anyone who was going to come and attack you or your family. So Alhamdulillah, um, everyone did fight back, including the adult females. Um, and eventually that family did back off they didn't expect us to fight back they just thought we would be you know timid Pakistanis who wouldn't fight back or, or protect ourselves but it was quite a shock and it was very traumatic and then we even called the police um, and they didn't turn up or didn't do anything so at that time it became a part of our um, you know it was a mental imprint that the police aren't really going to do very much to help you 
Um, obviously, there's deep-rooted institutionalized racism even there, and they're not going to care about racist attacks, especially in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and there was no evidence, and we were in the park, so for them, it was probably just a spat between kids. At that stage, we all realized, you know, as we were growing up, that you have to learn to protect yourself, defend yourself, um, even if it's verbally uh, and not a physical fight. Um, you know, you have to always be strong with uh, your identity and be proud of yourself. So, so that was around when I was maybe, I think maybe around 10 or 11. As a teenager, there were incidences where I was walking, uh, walking one time on the street and there was uh, a, a drunk white guy and he was shouting racist slurs at me and uh, calling me Paki. And at the time I realized he was drunk. So it was safest for me to just stay quiet and ignore him. But luckily another Pakistani guy saw the incident uh, I didn't know but he was actually my uncle's friend and he ran to my uncle's house and got my uncle and they both came and they were none the wiser they didn't realize that uh, it was me or you know my uncle didn't know that he was defending his own niece at that time but when I got to my grandmother's house my uncle said oh there was this racist drunk guy and he was being uh, shouting and swearing at uh, a Pakistani girl and I said yeah that was me um, so alhamdulillah you know I had the backup even then without intentionally trying to call anybody. Yeah, there was some racism at school, you know, with the odd underlying connotations of, um, you know, stereotyping and discrimination or being called Paki and stuff like that. But regarding Islamophobia directly was definitely after 9-11. I graduated, I just got married, but I was working um, in a, a council. I'm not going to say which one. It was in East London, one of the London Borough Councils. I was a senior housing officer in the housing department. 9-11 happened. At that stage, I had direct connection to the States myself because my husband and in-laws were living there and I was back and forth due to the immigration situation. I wasn't allowed to stay there legally fully yet. So I, I had a dual life with UK and America. So, be, you know, living in America and experiencing my life as a Muslim there, there was actually no racism for us directly in Connecticut. This is where we're based. But there was definitely curiosity. There, was, there were always white or black people or non-Bakistani people curious about us, looking at us. But there was never outright Islamophobia or racism at that time. After 9-11 happened, things just definitely changed, I think, the whole image of Pakistanis and Muslims definitely changed and one of the ladies that I worked with one of my colleagues was being racist she was a black lady herself mm -hmm. uh, she was being racist and saying things about Pakistanis and um, Afghanis or the Taliban and also saying that negative things about Muslims and how they're all bombers and things like that some of my other friends who were not racist had told me that it was just her instigating it but, but there were other people talking about it as well with her so I, I felt that rather than confronting her directly because it was unprofessional and there was not necessarily anything I could do in the work environment, I decided to email her and the whole of the department. So I used the internal intranet and sent out a general email to the whole department saying that, you know, people shouldn't be racist or think of Muslims negatively. And 9-11 has happened, but it's very unfortunate um, it's not in Islam to be bombers or terrorists and these are all just, you know, one-off images being portrayed in the media and so on. Within a few minutes, I had management come down on top of me. Basically, so some of my senior officers came and were asking about why I did that. Uh, I didn't realise I wasn't allowed to use the uh, internet for personal issues like that. Obviously, at the time, I had intended to just highlight something which had bothered me and I wanted to do it in a 
professional way without confronting anyone but they said that you're not supposed to use it for personal messages like that and even though we understand why you did it we will do something about that we're going to discipline the person because i said to them well how will this be dealt with then because obviously these people are being islamophobic and racist and it needs to be dealt with and i tried to do it professionally obviously i've used the wrong channel unintentionally but now that you are involved what will happen and they said, oh, we're going to speak to her and we'll discipline her and, and so on. But to be honest, nothing was really ever done after that. So mm. it made me realise that even in a professional environment, because of the media and propaganda and all of these intentional um, negative images being portrayed, everyone will always have a different viewpoint about Islam now. And I think for everyone, for globally, the whole Ummah, uh, life changed, especially after 9-11 in the States, but 7-7 in the UK as well and, and various other events so even at that time I realized there's not really much that you're going to be able to do so that's not a defeatist attitude it's just a realist attitude obviously mashallah our, our new generations are very strong educated empowered people and you know we know how to move forward and we just have to work outside the system we have to be resourceful we have to be self-sufficient we have to protect ourselves and educate our children especially our girls, but um, we need to teach our men to be honourable, responsible men. We need to teach our women to be strong, professional um, and resourceful. And, you know, you have to find other means to survive. We don't have to rely on the current system that's there because it doesn't really serve our purpose. It's not really doing anything for us. Mm, it's a shame you have to go through all of that. So the next yeah. question for you would be, did you face any challenges in your career due to wearing a hijab? Yes, even at university, actually, hijab wasn't very common yet. There were only a few people. In fact, college, actually, sixth form college, there were only very few sisters who had the guts at that time to wear hijab. It wasn't very common at all. It, it was very difficult to even find decent hijabs and uh, just wasn't enough supply or you know islamic clothing and designs but uh, so at that time i got questioned a lot even by my teachers actually my a-level teachers even the male teachers i think they thought i was being forced into it or being suppressed and so on and then at university there wasn't outright islamophobia regarding my hijab there was you know, like a negative attitude sometimes, but no one was outright racist. But the university I was at was quite orientalist and they had, they even taught courses which were very negative towards Islamic history and they only gave one side and it was mainly from the British point of view. So I noticed when we were studying those courses, a lot of the people, especially the international students, were quite racist. And obviously because I was in hijab, they identified me as a Muslim. My other my other Pakistani friends or Muslim friends who were not wearing hijab did not face that discrimination, um, that was for sure. That was university. And then at work, there was definitely curiosity. At work, I wouldn't say there was any issue with my actual hijab. I was always very professional, well presented anyway. I did a good job. So they really had no complaints. And in fact, in all fairness, they did accommodate me a lot with prayer and so on. They gave me a little room. It wasn't anything fancy or amazing. Um, they just It was like a little storage cupboard, but it was better than nothing. And they did try to accommodate me in that respect. So hijab or my practice of the deen um, was respected in that way. And since then, I've become a self-employed woman. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm running my own business purely because... I like having flexible hours and being my own boss. So I'm wearing hijab 
Um, it's no issue, at, you know, if I work from home at my office, at the college, at the clinic, wherever I am, uh, it's not a problem, alhamdulillah. And, and it, the, you know, using social media as well, it's a good way to portray Muslims, you know, showing them with proud identity as, you know, we are covered, we're in hijab, and we are strong Muslim women. And even if you're not in hijab, it's fine. Like the fact is that you're a strong Muslim and you just have to have the right mindset and approach and represent your people and, and, and be positive role models for your children as well for the next generation, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Would you encourage your children to develop any specific skills to protect themselves yeah. against any sort of hate crime? Because seeing as though it's just increasing. Yes, absolutely. I've definitely been learning it myself. Uh, we're very much into martial arts as a family. Um, my husband's been practicing it for years and, and we find it's even more important for girls to be doing it. So we want to start the regular classes, but already we've had training in kickboxing and also in Krav Maga as well, which is, you know, self-defense as well. And the main thing is also learning techniques for disarming and so on so you know when we've heard cases of people's hijabs being pulled off or ripped off and there's such an issue globally about women wearing niqab about wearing hijab so you know we all need to be able to protect ourselves and i would urge any any muslim or hijabi to be able to do this that if anyone approaches you in a harmful way even a sexual way you know you should be able to defend yourself physically you know, if someone's trying to pull off your hijab, you know, you potentially could get injured or strangled. So you need to know how to get out of that situation. For the boys, it's about self-protection, but also protecting their family as, you know, the future generation leaders of their family. And then as the mothers, you know, we all need to know how to defend ourselves. And I think martial arts is vital, even the sunnah sports of self-protection and just definitely knowing how to take care of yourself. And more than anything, uh, for my girls especially, I always wanted to really build up confidence. Like if you've got that skill then you're empowered and you have confidence to know that you can deal with anyone in any situation inshallah so then sis subhanallah you've completely left me you know awestruck so highly inspired mashallah you are a huge institute in your own self the amount of skills that you've developed the amount of um, service that you're providing for the ummah and on muslims as well you know alhamdulillah thank you very much sister i i just really appreciate this opportunity to be able to share this knowledge and my primary goal and my intention and using this interview as a platform is to educate people and let them know that there is an alternative solution look into islamic medicine find out about hijama cupping therapy learn how to perform it just for yourself and your family at least if not you know set up a business from it but the main thing is knowing that there is prophetic medicine if you eat right and you eat according to your typology, which is part of the sunnah, you know, you can actually be healthy and strong. You don't need to be on medication or relying on doctors. So that's my main takeaway message for your listeners today is that power yourself with this knowledge and just get healthy, get strong and be able to, you know, really survive because this is about deen and dunya. This is about being healthy in this life, but also a productive Muslim, you can't do anything if you're broke or you're unhealthy or you know you've got the wrong mindset. You have mm -hmm. to be healthy, strong, fit, 
earning an income for this life and the next life. You have to prepare for your sadhgajariya as well, for your akhira. And that's what I mean by leaving a legacy that is just not for you as a sister, as a Muslima, it's for your children and the next generations and then passing that on and then working towards your, your akhira as well. It's like my children now... The first thing they, if they're feeling poorly in any way, they're so trained into this mindset that the first thing they say is, mommy, can you do hijama on me, please? Two of my kids, I've already taught them how to do it. They do dry cupping on themselves and um, they really enjoy it. Like, it's such a blessing for us. And because of that, we are, generally speaking, much healthier and the immune systems are strong. So for all Muslim families, you know, I encourage the parents to learn it. And, you know, you can gain your own control over your own life and your children's health. You know, you shouldn't feel weak or um, vulnerable or anything. You should be able to treat your own kids and um, get them to be in a, a healthy, strong state, inshallah. I really hope that this inspires people to just get fit and healthy and learn the sunnah, sunnah ways for, regarding health, inshallah. Inshallah, Laziz, inshallah. So with that, we're coming to the end of our Muslima Voices podcast. Jazakallah khair, Sister Umi Amar, for coming on to share such beautiful information with our Muslima Voices audience. And Jazakallah khair for listening to us, all of you out there. If any of you would like more information on our Sister Umi Amar, please feel free to visit www.hijamanation.com com or you can very easily look her up on Facebook on at hijama training. Jazakallah khair for tuning in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Muslima Voices. <laughs>